Welcome to Disrupted Asia, Shaping the Future of Work, a podcast series by FES in Asia. In this episode, we will look at the social and economic crisis in South and Southeast Asia, the current unjust distribution of vaccines, and how we must not just rebuild the economy, but fundamentally rethink what our society should strive for. To explore all these critical themes, we have with us Jomo Kwame Sundram, a prominent economist who tackles the large questions of the economy of tomorrow. He is Senior Advisor at the Kazana Research Institute and is Visiting Fellow at the Institute for Policy Dialogue, Columbia University. Jomo was UN Assistant Secretary General for Economic Development and is a leading scholar and expert on the political economy of development. Welcome to our podcast, Disrupted Asia, Shaping the Future of Work. I'm Kai Dittmann, and I'm excited to have one of Malaysia's most prominent economists with me today. Welcome, Jomo. Thank you. Thank you, Kai. We are now over a year into the pandemic. Jomo, what have we learned and what do we need to sharpen our analysis in the future? I think what is important is our ability to learn and our ability to learn as we go along and to respond to the new knowledge And this has been complicated by two elements. One is that we have had a, a great deal of misleading precedents. Uh, different people have resorted to using analogies which are not really uh, quite appropriate, rather than trying to grasp the nature of this particular pandemic. Among economists, for example, there has been a tendency to compare Uh, this pandemic and its economic impact with, the, let us say, the global financial crisis of 2008 or before the East Asian financial crisis of 97-98. These analogies have been unhelpful. Uh, likewise, the cause of previous pandemics have not really provided much useful guidance to the present. Um, the second big problem, of course, has been the great degree of fake news and fake science in particular. And so there are a great number of people who are all too ready to dispense knowledge, sometimes uh, without malicious intent or dishonest intent, uh, but they are all too ready to uh, provide what they think to be the correct solution and to uh, readily dismiss uh, others' views which do not conform to this. And because of the huge impact of uh, the digital media in these times and the inability to, to process information and to separate uh, what is uh, believed to be accurate and what is believed to be erroneous. Um, this has created a great deal of mass confusion. And in some societies, um, more than others, there has been an aversion to taking needed steps Because ultimately, uh, societal responses to the pandemic uh, require collective action. And in libertarian societies, collective action has to be secured by a shared consensus about the need for that collective action. And this has been especially difficult in, uh, in such uh, more libertarian societies. Um, there has been also, I think, the success of some East Asian societies in responding and containing the contagion has been very considerable, uh, but there has been a reluctance to learn from it. And this, unfortunately, has led to very, very tragic uh, consequences. 
The final challenge, of course, is uh, that uh, we have a situation of great inequalities uh, which have been replicated in so many ways affecting the impact of the pandemic and also now the ability to vaccinate and to try to move towards herd immunity, uh, which ultimately has to be achieved at the international level. And a lot of avoidable tragedies of uh, possibly two and a half million people, according to the WHO projection last month, uh, who may have to die simply because of delays in vaccination. Yes, and these delays are striking compared to other parts of the world. So while in the US around half of the population have received at least one dose, I think the rate in Malaysia is around 5%. And that's pretty much in line with the Asian average. So what do you think can be done to decrease this inequality? I think the simple answer to that, uh, in, as far as increasing vaccines is concerned, uh, is simply to force the vaccine developers to share uh, information. Uh, this can easily be done legally. In two cases, in the case of Astra, as well as in the case of Moderna, uh, the developers, the actual vaccine developers, have indicated that they do not want to profit from the pandemic, that they are prepared and very happy to share the knowledge. Um, but unfortunately, they are not going to do so under uh, any disadvantage from doing so. There is, of course, an ongoing effort to amend or at least suspend uh, the intellectual property laws of the World Trade Organization and in order for uh, manufacturing to take place uh, on a cheaper and more affordable basis uh, throughout the world. Yes, on the proposal to suspend TRIPS, so the WTO Treaty on Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Rights, there were reactions, especially from the Pfizer CEO, that if new vaccines might be needed in the future for other variants of COVID-19 or potential new pandemics, then this waiver would decrease the incentive of vaccine makers to develop them fast. Do you think there's something to that criticism? Firstly, I think it is. Uh, it this gives the impression that uh, progress, uh, technological innovations, scientific innovations in the past have only been motivated by money. Uh, this is completely erroneous. It is true uh, that many governments provided incentives, uh, uh, particularly in the face of the urgency of this pandemic, uh, to try to accelerate this this uh, this process. Um, if they were very happy to develop their own vaccines without uh, such accepting such uh, inducements, they should have done so. And Albert Burla should know this and uh, whoever else who accepted that money, uh, whether in the United States or in Europe, they all knew the laws of their lands. The late Nelson Mandela fought very hard to bring the public health exception in. Uh, after the TRIPS uh, was introduced. And let us remember that TRIPS is not something which is uh, uh, God-given or something which has always existed. Uh, the TRIPS has only been uh, in existence since uh, 1995, slightly over a quarter of a century. So it is important for the governments concerned uh, to act uh, accordingly and to uh, share that information. In the meantime, number of casualties is going up especially uh, increasingly now in developing countries such as India, Brazil, and so on. You're right. The situation right now in India is horrible and incredibly difficult for everyone there. 
At the same time, prior to this new spike in cases, I think India was one of these examples where we saw policy responses to the economic downturn that were reaching from deregulation of labor markets and to some degree to the suspension of workers' rights. Well, different societies have responded very differently. Many of these things are optional and governments have done it. They have invoked the pandemic as the reason for doing so. There are many policy options which they have uh, taken on and also many policy options which they have rejected. These are all matters of choice. These are not compelled by the situation of the pandemic. Uh, there are so many employers, for example, who are only holding on to workers uh, because they have been paid by their governments to do so. There are also laws in, in many countries, for example, uh, laws which... Uh, suspending of bankruptcy uh, and when governments have introduced moratoriums on loan payments and so on they have been very happy to take advantage of such uh, uh, provisions provided by many governments but i think it is important to recognize that many governments have been very generous my own government in malaysia for example has been very generous what it offered in terms of monetary policies uh, was worth 10 times more than what it offered in terms of fiscal policies at the beginning meaning in the second quarter of 2020, in terms of taking on bold fiscal policies. But unfortunately, despite the fact that the new leadership of the International Monetary Fund been actually encouraging countries to be much bolder, uh, we find most developing countries, especially the so-called emerging market economies, and are terrified of, of being seen as unconventional. Um, they should take a cue from what the Western developed economies have done and Japan has done uh, in the face of the global financial crisis. And of course, not just replicating them, but understanding what would work and what would be effective in their own situations. Jomo, I think I want to circle a little bit back to the question what increased liberalization of labor markets and suspension of workers' rights would also mean for economies in the region. I take the view that this kind of attempt to roll back on progress, which the modest progress which has been made on, on labor policy and so on, uh, is completely unwarranted. What has happened in Indonesia, for example, and what is happening in Malaysia right now, where you have a labor minister who is probably more anti-labor than anybody else in the last uh, half century. We have a very, very, very modest uh, minimum wage and he wants to abandon that minimum wage and do a number of other ridiculous things. So we have this kind of rollback happening all over the world and in the region as well. And uh, it is necessary for us to try to ensure that the worst hit are prevented, are saved from falling between the cracks, as the World Bank likes to call it. Uh, but beyond that, the fact that all this is being used as a pretext to, to shift the burden uh, from capital to labor is most unwarranted. Uh, but this, unfortunately, uh, has been the option for many countries all over the world, in, including in this region. If we think of a longer pandemic, one that doesn't end in the second year or the third, but a COVID or some variant of COVID that becomes endemic, how do you think this will change the economies in the region? And how will it change the future of work for the people on the ground? Even if the pandemic were to end tomorrow, there, are, there will be many effects of this pandemic um, which will be very long-lasting. 
there are people who want, who think that we can go back to the status quo ante if the pandemic stops tomorrow. That is not possible. But there are many led by the Davos crowd who want to build back better. And I think that this will be a wasted opportunity. What we need to do is to build forward better. We need to think of what the problems of the world as it existed before the pandemic and seriously think about how we can build forward towards a new, much more sustainable and much more equitable future. Unfortunately, there is no leadership at the global level. There is no leadership at national level in most societies uh, for this kind of forward thinking. Uh, there are a few areas where there is some, some thought about this. I'm thinking of a small place like Kerala State in southwest India. There is a little bit of discussion in Argentina and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, we do not have that kind of leadership being expressed, certainly not at the national level. Uh, there are now attitudes about what uh, some people call vaccine nationalism and I call vaccine imperialism which are simply unacceptable, uh, but these are not being challenged in most of the world. Uh, people challenging some of the consequences thereof, but nobody is challenging these fundamental divides uh, which exist. So we do not want to build back. Building back is not acceptable anymore. And what we need to do is to build forward. I think that many of the old hospitality services, for example, are unlikely to survive. Uh, but it also will mean, for example, that there will be perhaps uh, much less reliance on global supply chains and much more reconsideration about alternatives to global supply chains. Uh, there will be much more uh, rethinking about the needs uh, for international travel. And although I don't think that the term Anthropocene is terribly useful in terms of trying to understand all the problems of our age, uh, but there is something to be said about how we are increasingly undermining the very basis for our own sustainability. If workers in the hospitality sector get laid off and if supply chains shift away from sectors with low and to some degree exploitative wages, what possibility is there for countries to build forward and to build the jobs of the future? Well, one of the features which uh, most societies in the world are facing today, uh, including many developing countries, is the challenge of aging. So we find, for example, in my own country in Malaysia, while life expectancy has increased uh, about 15 years uh, from 61 to about 76 over the last few decades, what we have seen is that the last few years life um, are not in good health. Now, this means there is going to be a far greater need for care services. And there's a great deal which needs to be done in terms of care support. There will be much needed in terms of switching employment, uh, much needed in terms of switching from uh, many of the fossil fuels. These are some of the obvious and easy ones, but there are, of course, many other things as well. You know, ironically, just before uh, this pandemic, people were talking uh, seriously for the first time about questions such as uh, uh, basic income guarantees, of uh, reducing the workday, of paying far more attention to well-being, uh, not only physical well-being, but also mental well-being. 
we do not pay enough attention in most developing countries, and some would argue in many developed countries as well, uh, to uh, problems of mental ill health, of distress. And many of these challenges are becoming far more serious. Jomo, I think I agree that there is a lot of potential in Malaysia and in other countries in the region that we can indeed build forward. I think with that hope, our interview might come to an end. And I just wanted to thank you for taking the time and being with us today. Thank you, Kai. I think you challenged me in a way which I, I really appreciate. You know, it's precisely the kinds of questions you were raising which I think we should be addressing. And this is extremely important in these very, unfortunately, dark times. So your questions are like a point to a silver lining. You know, the first, first uh, moments of light uh, out of the dark clouds. This was Jomo Kwame Sundaram, expert on the political economy of development. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Disrupted Asia, between crisis, rise and resilience. This podcast was brought to you by FES in Asia. Interview by Kai Dittman. Research by Mekla Jar. Directed by Milkor Gunter. And produced by MediaWalk. Make sure to subscribe, tell your friends about it, and don't forget to visit our website, asia.fes.de, for regular updates on freedom, justice, and solidarity in Asia. Thank you for joining us.